This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Grace Gordon, actress and activist. And here today on The Art Life, we are talking about how the heart part is the hard part. I'm joined by musician, actor, and writer Cesar Cardona. Hi, Cesar. Hi. Hi, how are you? Who has an album releasing today, August 5th, the day that this episode airs. And his his album, this is this is your first album, right? First, first full album. First full album is titled The Heart Part is the Hard Part, which I just love. I've known Caesar for five years. He's been a friend of mine the entire time I've been in LA, and we have collaborated together on so many things, photography projects, music-related projects, acting things, and it's so cool to see him now putting his own music out into the world. I'm so excited for you, Caesar. Thank you. Thank you so much. So before we get into this discussion of your album, your spiritual journey, and all that brought you here to this place of confidence where you can share your work with the world, I wanted to ask you what I always ask our guests at the beginning of an interview, just to get us situated into this present moment. How is your art life? It is flowy. Very flowy. Is that good? It's pretty good. It's been more flowy than it's ever been in a way that I never even expected that I would have and a way that I expected I would like. Mm. Yeah. So you wouldn't have expected that you would like your life as it is right now, even though it feels good. Mm -hmm. What is the, what are the things that are like, that stick out to you as not what you expected? Yeah. You know, I think I've always imagined my life to be this very, got the answer, understand it, this clarity of like, oh, it's this, A and the B, okay, of course it's going to be C, let's do this thing, let's knock this out, blah, 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 what's next, that, okay, cool, and that's a part of it, but that's not even the full driver of the car, you know, that's, this flowy part is more so like, all right, it's A, I mean, it could be B, but all right, let's see what we get, see how it works, it's been like that. On this show, like, one of our main focuses is divorcing ourselves from this obsession with like product orientation right as artists Mm -hmm. in this capitalist society we are forced to think about the end product all the time or we're used to we're not forced to but we are used to thinking about the end product of everything the selling of something what it's going to look like on the outside and I think that it makes art the process of making it less fun and it also makes it emptier my best work has been when I've not been goal oriented at all but been really inside the process of something is that related to what you're describing yeah for sure and i i would also say that um we're not forced to we're passively forced to oh i love that everywhere we go in the world we only see that no one ever directly tells you that but all you are seeing is somebody's result and of course it's shown on a billboard or a ad telling you that you need this to make you happy and it's not the case not the case at all in my opinion at least um uh so somewhere along the lines yeah i saw myself as being that sort of rat race hustle bustle have the clarity have that sort of that image that the person is what's that 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 gif that goes where it shows russell crowe and beautiful mind where all the numbers are going around his head he just i felt like it was supposed to be that you know and i realized it's not that it's more so uh it's more so um i don't know it's more like uh it's more like just uh, setting the sails and mm-hmm. recognizing the wind's going to push you a certain direction. You know, it feels like that. 
Well, it's been beautiful to watch you just evolve and thrive as an artist, especially the past year. And I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so let's go back because I met you five years ago, but you had been in LA for a while. So uh, what brought you to here? What brought you to LA? What was the uh, reason to come? Yeah, that's a funky one because there's so many of these like little reasons, you know, this big amalgamation of moments that equaled up to all this. I always get the image of, of uh, like a pointillist painting, all the little dots. If you get up close to it, you oh, can't. Oh, I know all about yeah. pointillism. Yeah. <laughs> you mean my, my, my style of art yeah, making? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it puts me in mind of that, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then when you back away, of course, you see like, ah, oh, this makes the totality. Well, first, I was playing music in the East Coast, Florida, a lot, and I, I won a singer-songwriter award and a competition, and I was on television there, and I just knew I needed to go somewhere else because the city itself was bringing me a bit down where I grew up. Bad memories, horrible upbringing. It was really, uh, I can cuss, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was yes. really fucked up here. It was really bad there growing up. My life, the city is fine, but my life was bad. And I wanted to move somewhere else, uh, San Francisco or New York or whatever. And I just woke up one morning and something told me to move to Los Angeles. Wow. I know. And I also had never been here. I didn't know anybody here. And the furthest I've ever driven in my life by myself was like two hours wow. from Jacksonville, Florida. So, and uh, you just went for it. Yeah. So I, I bought a house when I was 20 or so. 20? Yeah, 20. And so I had I started renting it out. Mm-hmm. And then start saving up money and whatnot so I can have some income while I moved here. Which is very smart. Like, yeah. you know, I, I do warn people, like, leap in the net will appear, but LA is very expensive and you need to have, like, more than anything, a financial Yeah, totally. And that net will appear, like, at the very last minute. So all the way, <laughs> all the way down, and, and you're like, you is this right? Is this right? right? Is this right? Is this right? Try to avoid that, the depths of getting into debt and and being in survival mode. So that's great that from such a young age you had that set up for yourself. Yeah, I appreciate it. There's so much of me looking back on it now where I am. I realize that whoever this person is, this time here, this capital S self of now, was already aware and kind of made me do these subconscious, spiritual, essential things mm-hmm. that throughout the rougher times, that was already there. Mm-hmm. Some people call it source or Brahma, mm-hmm. God, or whatever you want to call it, uh, the mystery or it, or or the actual it itself, the silence, you know, mm. um, it doesn't make a difference to me. Um, I did that knowing it would help, but not knowing it would help yeah. in so many ways. And it, it helped in a tremendous amount of ways. So uh, I rented the place out, um, sold all my stuff, loaded up in my car. The chin, the 10, the highway uh, in Jacksonville, Florida happens to be in LA too. Mm-hmm. So I just hopped on it as a straight shot. I did not know. I mean, I just got in my car and typed in my GPS, Los Angeles. Literally the city of Los Angeles. How many years ago was that? Uh, this was uh, 2014. Okay. So seven years ago. That's not Almost long ago. Years. Yeah. I mean, for you to have, to be where you're at now, seven years that's or eight years, whatever it is, that's not a long time. And that's such a leap. It was a huge leap. Not knowing anybody, not doing anything, you know. So I, I, I got here, and then I ended up looking at a place in uh, North Hollywood, an apartment, see if I wanted to get it. And I walked in there. It was cool, and I think the he rented the place out by the time I got there. But I was driving around North Hollywood, and I realized this is kind of nice. Yeah. So for two weeks, I just slept in my car, mm-hmm. um, and just looked for a place to live. And I found a place to live in about two and a half, three weeks, because I went to San Francisco for a bit. 
And they got a job across the street from where I worked at this diner. And I was like, all right, well, I got the basic spots. Let me just figure everything else out. My objective was to get here, play music, didn't care about L.A., get established, and then find out where I wanted to be in life. Now, I met you probably two or three years after this move in an acting class. So when I met you, you were really focused on acting. What brought you there? Yeah, so I was working at that diner where at first place I was and maybe, I don't know, maybe like nine months or so. This guy walked up to me, Gabe Torres is the guy's name. He's a really great friend of mine, brilliant director. He uh, walked up to me and goes, are you an actor? It's like, I'm not an actor, dude. And he started doing the thing like, ah, you know, you really You're have the acting and so on and so forth. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. I'm a musician, man. That's not my, I don't know. So then he had me. Um, I didn't know this. I don't know this story. Yeah, it's a very yeah. Johnny Depp story. That's 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 what happened with him. Oh, he oh. wanted to be a musician. He was in a band. He was oh, here to do music, cool. and then someone cast him in a movie, and he was like, oh, "Okay, I need the money for my yeah. band." Yeah, yeah, totally. What are the odds of that? What are the odds? Yeah. yeah. So he had me do that, and I kind of dug what he was showing me, and then he um, gave me a list of some theater schools to go to. So I started going in there. For me, I felt it felt like. It felt like it was really a part of who I was as a person. And then when I walked into that theater school, everybody, the way they talked, their humor, mm -hmm. their understanding of someone else without that person saying the other thing, mm -hmm. just they just got it. And I was like, oh my goodness, finally, I finally was in a group of people who I felt like were like me, mm -hmm. the way I thought about things and I broke stuff down. And that was amazing. So then I was like, let me just dive into this and see what I can get out of it. Yeah. That's where I, I met you, I think about a year later. That sounds about right. Yeah, that school where we met, you know, we're both no longer a part of it for very good, very good reasons. And I actually, I kind of talked about in the last episode mm -hmm. uh, that I, that I did on this show about the sort of exploitative nature of like diving into people's trauma in public in these acting classes. Mm -hmm. And when, when it's not like a trained therapist doing that, what's the follow up? Like, what are the safety measures, mm -hmm. you know, for, for uh, exposing all of that stuff in an acting class? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some of that is the reason I'm not really there anymore, but I'm still close friends with so a, a handful of students that I met at that class. Yeah. And the the work ethic and the language, you know, the vocabulary of those students, like the, the way that we went about breaking stuff, breaking our work down, was hugely influential on me. It's an, it is a good, like, on a technical level, that school taught me so much. Same. And I'm so glad that I still have the community, like a, a good portion of the people I liked are still friends of mine, you know, like it, it still provided community. And I, that's, you know, that's how we met. Mm -hmm. We're still in each other's lives, making things together. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to me that I'm just finding out that the reason you got into acting is yeah. someone like discovered you at a diner. <laughs> okay, Marilyn Monroe. Um, I'm wondering how much community and like friendship influence your art? How much has that been a part of your path? Because like, it sounds like there's been some turnarounds just based on like people yeah. guiding you. That's that's a huge thing, totally. It's uh, pretty dynamic, a little complicated in mm -hmm. some level because you know you your surroundings are gonna be what your output is like, right? You're gonna attract that in some sort of way. Um, so I've always had the fundamental people in my life. They've always been there for me no matter what stage of life I was going through. And even those really bad stages, right? Um, but uh, when I got to like the darker stages of my life, a bunch of um, self-loathing, drugs, really, really dangerous drugs, dangerous sex, all this really horrible shit, 
my circle got tighter with those sort of people. Mm. And I could, you could just, you know, every story you hear about somebody going somewhere to LA or New York or whatever, and they just fucked their life over. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in there, some, the, again, that, that self, that's capital S self of me was, this is how this happens. They were like, this is how this happens. This is how this happens. Get the fuck out of here. You're on that path. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow I was like, ah, you know, get out of here. Fly or whatever, you know. Get out um, of your conscience. Yeah, get out of your reality, <laughs> spirit, source. Mm -hmm. Who needs you? Apparently, everybody does. Mm -hmm. So then, uh, but those, uh, you know, on the outer sides, like those, my, my family, my 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 mother, for example, and great friends of mine are always there for me. That had my back whenever I got out of all of that shit. Um, and what's great now is, um, thanks to answer your question, is that I, I have when I get into the 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 mental spinning mm -hmm. of shit i got friends now that uh, they know exactly what part of themselves they can give me mm. that'll help me do you know that's beautiful yeah, yeah. It's, it's not what i need to hear it's like he we're in each other's lives he, he appreciates me so i'm gonna give him a bit of who i am as a person and that helps me a lot to keep grounded yeah i Sounds like the, the, the friendships are, are this healing safe space for you so that you can create art, so that you can make things because you have a home base. Yeah, we're kind of getting like all the, what's that, that Ram Dass quote? We're all just walking each other home. Ooh. You know? Ooh. That's so good. I love that. I, I love that. It's such a mental image. And we've all done that as kids. We walked home together from school, playground or whatever. It's so beautiful. I feel like it's that, you know. I have a couple of my friends now. We have um, um, a black man, mm -hmm. right, living in America. Mm -hmm. So it can be kind of tough in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. We yeah. can't, black men, can, we can't get angry in mm -hmm. public. We can't do that. We just, we just can't do it because then we'll, we'll get the worst of it. But we're also told to hold our emotions in to, like, the people in our lives, too. And those emotions don't go anywhere. They just get balled up and they find other ways to go outward. So that's where the drugs and the violence and the this and the that come out. But I have my, my support friends now, a few of my friends who we will we'll just have an open text thread. Like, we'll just text something. I'm feeling this way today. This came up about, and it made me feel this. I felt horrible about this thing that took place that I said to you know my partner. And then it made me think about this thing in my childhood. And now I'm feeling like, shit, I just want to say it. You guys have a text thread where you share this stuff? That's it. I'm going to cry. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yeah. And is that like your friendships with this group evolved over time or were you always like that? Um, it evolved over time because, it, you know, the same way that's growing, you're growing a friendship together. Yeah. So it it grew over time. And at some point, you know, you recognize that in somebody else too. And then, again, what they have for you, you need for yourself and vice versa. And that's, I mean, Jung always talks about shadow. You know, the inverted version of yourself is usually who you're attracted to, friendship-wise, romantic-wise, so mm. on and so forth. And that's exactly what it is. So it grew up, it grew to that space, and we start talking about the therapist that, you know, we would see and what we learned about stuff. And this open space is just always, always there. Something so simple as saying, like, thanks, bro. Appreciate that. Thank you. Not like, thanks, man. Yeah. No, no. Hey, man, thank you for being there. I really appreciate this. I'm, I'm honored to be your friend. Do men have trouble saying that these days? Do black men have a lot of trouble saying that these days? And I, I don't want any parts of the, that other side. I'm going to keep shit. Yeah. Well, you're, I mean, you're creating the world that I want to live in. Yeah. I can say that with your actions. Not, it's not just theory. Thanks. And that's really beautiful. Hmm. Got chills.
So another thing that I know you do is you, you know, run your own small business. You, you are a boxing coach and I'm wondering how, how, how is like the discipline and the consistency of boxing or just being a fitness coach in general, how has that influenced your creative path or your art making process? Yeah. You know, one would think that it, uh, it wouldn't at all, you know, uh, some physical boxing and then some art. But you're dead on. It totally does in yeah. so many ways, you know, um, in a spiritual sense, in a, in a, in a sense of the, the, the large picture, the totality of it, there are no two things mm-hmm. whatsoever, right? So I kind of keep that with me at all times. There are no two things. But of course, you are this focused wave in the cosmic ocean right mm-hmm. now for this time being, right? Of course, and when this physical thing is done, the wave subsides, you go back into the ocean, become an ocean again at some other point. Right. So you kind of get those two levels of thought. Right. So I hold on to that as much as I can when I think um, being a small business owner, teaching boxing, the level of, I'll go, uh, there's a lot. So I'm trying to think of like the best way to, where to start. But the linking of workouts for one thing, right? Recognizing when you do a certain workout, you have a primary muscle being worked out and then Mm -hmm. the secondary muscle, right? If you can link, well, what I do, as much as I can if you do your workout and make that secondary the primary for the next workout and then find one that makes the secondary huh. the next primary you're linking all those together right you play a chord in the song on a, you play a chord in the song it's a one chord the four and the five chord that five almost makes the western ear want to go back to that one so you're linking these moments back to where you are um, that's more of a heady version of it mm-hmm. um, but then the discipline comes in too recognizing, all right, it's time to do this. You got to, this needs to be done this way. It needs to be done that way. It's time to make uh, yourself uh, push harder than you're fucking pushed before. Silence them that self. Boxing is seen, it seems so, you know, aggressive outward, but inside it's pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. You have to just kind of be there in some silence. And when I create music, I'm speaking as much as I can from that silence that's within. Mm-hmm. Again, capital S, self. Self, capital S. I love this idea that it's all related to it's, it's all it's, or it's all the same thing in a way. Something I say that comes from spirit, a spiritual community mm-hmm. I'm in. But I always say like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think elements of what you're saying apply. I was thinking I mentioned you yesterday because I was in a movement class where we were doing Kundalini breath work. Mm-hmm. And breath work is something that's really like ch- like challenging for me emotionally and so I sort of have to dip my toes into it and do uh-huh. little bits at a time yeah, yeah. but it's it's amazing mm-hmm. like the benefits are there and I'm committed to it but a person teaching me Athena ready who's always also been a guest on the show <laughs> Athena starts walking me through I can't remember the name of it the square breathing box breathing, box breathing. Box breathing yeah. and I'm like, I know what this is. Caesar taught me this five years ago because I get anxious and don't breathe. Mm-hmm. And it, so, you know, there's an example even in my life of how your boxing skills helped me through a movement thing that I'm doing for the sake of being a better artist. Absolutely. It's great. Absolutely. That's my favorite thing about everything. Yeah. <laughs> but my, I know what you mean though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My music project is called The Clue, C-L-E-W. That's a Greek term for the thread. Because Theseus went into that labyrinth, slayed the Minotaur, 
right? That's symbolic for going inward, killing the own demon that's inside you. But you got to get back out of that labyrinth. You can't get lost in there. You got to get back out to the world. And you get back out to the world with that clue. The clues get you out of the labyrinth. And that thread connects you to the rest of the world. Wow. So there's just one consistent thread that's taking place there. Wow. And about everything, you know? When I find that stuff out, I, I, I spot it every time. I'm never not shocked. I'm never not surprised. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I go, ah, there it is. Mm -hmm. They're right there, staring me in the face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've, you've been on this spiritual journey that yeah. you're describing no. metaphorically right yeah. now. You've been on it for a few years now. I would love to just hear about whatever you're comfortable with, about what got you there, how, you, how it changed your identity as yeah. well. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about any of the stuff. Um, one, I should preface by saying for nine plus years, I was this very strict, stern atheist. Science-based. Yeah, yeah, of course. I remember because... Everybody remembers. You, we, we ta I talked to you about astrology once, mm -hmm. and you said... You were like, no. And then you said, you can believe whatever you want, but don't apply it to me. It, which was, you, you, you were the most typical Virgo in the way that you rejected my describing you as a Virgo. Like, and it was just hilarious. You, yeah, you were a, a strong mm -hmm. vocal atheist. Yeah. I met you. Yeah. And I think we were sitting somewhere right about here when I said to you, I said, um, Grace, tell me about astrology. And you yes, were like, no. Five you years like later. went apeshit about you. I was like, I won. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That's the humbling of Indra, you know, that, that Hindu myth where like he does something and he's like, what a good boy am I? So he builds this castle all the way up and the thing never ends and never ends and never ends. And then uh, I think it's um, Krishna comes out or Vishnu, I forget, comes to him and says, of all the Indras, you built this, you built the best castle. He's like, I'm the Indra. You know, me, I'm the good boy. And yeah. then he says, you're the good boy? I've seen all the Indras come and go. And these ants come in the door, and he laughs, and uh, Indra says, what are you laughing at? And he says, he points at the ants and says, former Indras all. Oh, wow. They go all the way up. They do something great. They say, what a good boy am I? And then they go back down to the ant life mm -hmm. example. That metaphor is exactly what happened. That humblingness had to be there. You know, I could have easily have just not brought that up, but... We're humans. Mm -hmm. It's I don't think society does enough of apologizing. We were just talking about this. This is like the central thing to my whole this is, this is my special interest right yeah. now. Is like I stay up late at night and read conflict resolution yeah. books and you know, communication books and specifically this thing that we, mm -hmm. we were talking about before we were on air, just about how everyone makes mistakes and and you know, the artist, the few the tiny handful of artists we can think of recently yeah. who have been willing yeah. to just immediately address it mm -hmm. when they do make a mistake and then take action to repair and and just hold themselves accountable publicly. It's so impressive. Like it, it should be the baseline standard, but you can do this. Like there is a there are steps to do this, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yet people just double down. Yeah. And there's a secret about it too. Once you do it once. You just want to keep apologizing for stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. I'm an idiot. Done. Whatever. <laughs> because you're not holding on to it anymore. I find that I just trust myself more mm -hmm. because I know that if I make a mistake, I can own it. True. So I don't do as much mental freak out True. in any conflict because I'm totally like confident enough mm -hmm. to say, yeah, this part was mm -hmm. me. This, you know, I, this part was my stuff. It impacted you. I'd like to take action to repair it you know, yeah. and, and ensure that I'm not going to do this again. Mm -hmm. 
like all of that feels really good for me. It makes me like myself. And also, I mean, just the experience of when you are imperfect and you're able to hold yourself accountable and people don't abandon you, right? Like my friends can take an apology after I fucked up and then stay in my life Mm -hmm. and love me anyway. And knowing that and having that sense of security makes me a better person and a happier person. And, but we're all living under this delusion or brainwashing mm-hmm. of perfectionism. Yeah. And look at how it's affecting Hollywood yeah. and the entertainment industry. You know, we say it's not cancel culture, it's accountability culture. And I actually do believe that. But the issue is that the people who get called out double down. And that's where they get into real trouble. You can just apologize. Like yeah. there is a way to do this. I agree. I totally agree. And then yeah. to add on top of that, we have this huge divide of this. I don't think this is a word, but this dichotomic life, mm-hmm. dichotomy, this life of dichotomy, where it's like either they're wrong, I am right. Without this understanding of this gray area, it's a yes or it's no. But typically, it's yes and or no and. You know that dichotomy thing is is so tough. So. To go back to the lack of humility, people mm. don't because they're sitting on their side and it's so comfortable for them and holds on to their ego and so much of it. And that's where I was, and that's I'm still I still do it. Not actually, I I've grown too, from it. It's it. I've evolved and changed, but it's it'll probably be there till the to the day that I die. That's for sure. It's just the act of participating in the work and in the sorrows of the existence that makes a person become much more clean and clear about how they want to go about their world and more grounded. It just dehumanizes people too. Like we're we're always forcing people into this role of villain or victim, or I think it's called the Cartman drama triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like villain, victim, or or like a persecutor, victim, or uh, like savior. I think oh, save. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's like we're always in the you know in our toxic culture. Mm-hmm. We are always in one of those roles. Mm-hmm. So like you're either saving the person who's the victim or you're the persecutor or you're the victim and we tend to take the same roles over and over Mm -hmm. but we all have experience being on every side of that triangle every every corner of that triangle yeah yeah, yeah. and it's just it's so embedded in our culture and it makes everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's in our stories it's in the stories constantly and those characters you're reading my mind because those characters often throughout a story will shift uh shape shift Mm -hmm. a little bit and then the person, usually the uh, the collective is reading, is like, I can't believe they did that. Why can't you believe they did that? Of course mm-hmm. they did that. Of course you would do that. Of course I would do that. That's what happens. And anything you do is going to be bad for somebody else. At some capacity, mm-hmm. you know, I am not, I really do not like Donald Trump. But I guarantee you he shows some sort of affection to his son at some capacity. He's doing something that's some level of good. And it's hard to say that. Yeah. Really hard. But there's a reality there. Got to rec- we have to recognize that as a society. Um, I agree with you completely, and and yeah, just the way that the, this kind of narrative infiltrates our our media, though, mm-hmm. is part of what motivates me as an artist. Right, mm-hmm. I want to make stories about people who are messy and make mistakes and make up for it and like repair relationships. I don't want to make these stories that are there. There is like this very clear victim and very clear villain. That's not what life is, and I think that it's it, so much of the media we consume is that, yeah. and it's leading to a problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Is the sun just is it is it at twelve o'clock noon and then by nightfall it just goes to the other side immediately? <laughs> no, it's a gradual process, and the moon just pops in, pop. No, it's not. It's not quantum physics. That's not how it works, man. Yeah. You know. Um, but going back to your question, um, I uh, I was just that very stern atheist where like oh if it's not science i don't it's uninterested it's probably bullshit mm-hmm. get away don't care for it whatsoever and i'll say this about me i'm not saying this about atheism for anybody else but what it did for me is it kept me safe in my ego kept me in this safe space where i didn't have to admit fault i didn't have to hold spiritual connection to other things in the world right and then and then my own thought was well then what do i believe in Okay, I believe my subconscious. That's what it is, because I know that's real, sure. But before I started doing any therapeutic and, and any kind of self-work, my subconscious was complete poison because of my <laughs> shit upbringing, growing up being a gangbanger, then you know getting in this horrible, uh, uh, heartbreaking relationship, going through all that shit. And then, of course, my own self-loathing that comes in. It made me just go wild. Um, so then at some point, I was uh, in a... Uh, a club bar and um, there was a girl that was getting harassed by this dude she kind of mouthed to me help oh wow and um, so my girlfriend and I at the t- my girlfriend at the time and I kind of like we're like hey she's with us you know let it go no big deal whatever and he had a problem with it um, he had a bad problem with it so long story short her and I were walking out him and his five guys jumped on us and completely wow. like knocked me unconscious, knocked my teeth out, smashed my face in, my nose was messed up, my piece of my tongue came off, my uh, bladder was punctured, all this stuff. Um, I don't remember any of it. I was just out. What I what I was told is that I in the ambulance I woke up yelling and cussing and saying all this aggressive shit, and I started yelling. I had to pee. So then they really they cut my jeans and realized I couldn't. So my they could tell my bladder was punctured. So oh. They put me they put me back under. Yeah. And then cut me open. And then had to sew shut my bladder and then staple my stomach shut. Um. I woke up out of all of that maybe I don't know, five six hours later. And um, this was told to me. Um my girlfriend at the time that I looked at the nurse and I asked her I'm dead right and she said you're not dead um, you're in cedar cyanide 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 yeah that works Freudian (laughs) it's definitely Freudian because she said you're not dead and I said could you do me a favor could you kill me please and she said I can't do that and I said uh, I'm really tired I've had enough I just want to sleep. And I mean, I'm 27, 28 at the time. And I know that. I know I would say that for sure. I spent my whole life being an, a complete shit, driving on a highway, doing blow, drinking, and unhooking my seatbelt, just hoping for mm-hmm. odds to just a fucking idiot. Not to mention harming other people, you know? So uh, to, to, to get to that space, which... I think a lot of people who find spirituality of some sort have got some sort of heavy trauma that takes place to There's them. There's got to be a, right? not hopefully half 
have to be, but there Excuse often me, hopefully. is. Often, thank There's you. There's a rock bottom. Thanks for correcting me. Us. Yes, yes. I just hope that there doesn't have to be. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Wrong. No, no, no. I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I just like to offer other options when I talk about things. I don't want everyone to think they have to hit rock bottom yeah. in order to pursue yeah, a spiritual yeah. journey. I'm like, but if you can... I'd rather you not. So, someone's on the four or five listen to this, they unhook the seatbelt. Right, right. I'm like, you can come meditate with us for without having a near death experience. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, totally. Um, that and that's kind of what you know. I do everything in my life for anyway. You know, whatever you whatever you find too, you got to pass it along. Yeah. So that's where I'm, what I'm doing here. I don't own any of this it's mm-hmm. music. None of this shit's mine. I found it in nature, and I'm passing it on. But there was a sim, there was a physical and therefore a psychological and a symbolic rebirth that took yeah. place there. My tongue was severed. My teeth were completely gone. The forefront teeth, the bridge was shattered. So I had to learn how to eat, how to talk, how to see because my orbital lobe was fractured. My stomach was completely ripped open. Right, my abdominal wall was cut. I had to learn how to walk again. All the things that babies have to learn how to do. And there's a symbolic death that took place there and a spiritual one and an essential one because i asked this woman to kill me mm. from there i just started trying to get better as best i can and uh the trauma didn't go anywhere and then one day i went to north hollywood on lancashire there's this huge wall mural of Jimi hendrix standing there it's a big one he's towering there. he's got his hands on his shoulders and he's looking straight in into the into you i mm-hmm. suppose and I saw when I first moved here, it brought me to tears. So I went there again, and I just started talking to it, oh. which is not something an atheist would do. Who the fuck are you talking to? Are you talking to a wall? What's the matter with you, you know? Uh, and I started crying, and I, I said, you got me here, Jimmy, because everything I've done in my life as an artist, because I heard him play music, mm-hmm. you got me here. What the fuck? What am I supposed to do with any of this? You have to help me, because if not, I'm not going to see the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. 2018, 2018, excuse me. Um, I walked away and I went there. And then in North Hollywood, just on the other side of there, there was a Buddhist temple. And I walked in there and started uh, spending time with these Buddhists. And I was like, well, that's cool. You can be Buddhist and atheist. I dig that. Cool. That sounds perfect for me. Yeah. And then bit by bit, you started looking inward. You start sitting, watching the, you start meditating. You look at the self. You recognize what's going on. And a lot of atheists don't necessarily care. Oh, excuse me. A lot of Buddhists don't necessarily care about the question of God and creator and whatsoever and so on and so forth. But for me, I looked in when I realized what is in here is out there and larger. And in that there's no two things, you know. And that, that cracked open. The real self, again, capital S self, um, by way of dissolving the ego, yeah. cracking the shell of the ego, I suppose, and birthing this this uh, this egg of, of, of self. It's fascinating to hear this story on the outside because I knew you during this time and, yeah. and we actually spent a pretty good amount of time together. That was a hard year for both of us. Yeah. And it's fascinating to hear this story, this version of it, right? This out, this outside of it. Because it's so clear the way that the universe was set up in your favor, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's like the, you just were led to a better place through horrible trauma. Yeah. But when you're inside of it, you don't see that. And it takes a great deal of bravery to start feeling hope mm-hmm. to do anything when you're that low. And so I just like, 
want to applaud you for taking those steps into the temple and showing back up again, right? Because even though it's clear now that you were guided there, it takes some kind of bravery, strength, delusion, you know, just just saying fuck it, whatever it is, you know, when you're so also bogged down in, in atheism and negativity and, and just hopelessness to say, oh, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to just keep going here. Yeah. Yeah. That takes something, something good yeah. inside someone. Right. Yeah. Right. Especially alone. Very alone. Spent my whole life feeling alone. And it was, it could have been easy for me to just get more angry at mm-hmm. the world. Right. I, something in me chose, or something in me activated that I shouldn't, and that's that part of me. Um, that was a that was a fucking time, man. My goodness, you think about that. That's that was just, the worst year of my life. Um, same, same. Yeah. Fucking same. Jeez, man. That was a tough, tough, tough one. Obviously, physically and the trauma. And now that relationship went really sour. She was, um, as unhealthy as I was. So, of course, what do you get when you do that together, you know? It's just really unhealthy to be the same place together. Yeah, yeah. So from there, you start peeling away. And Buddhism, what's really great about Buddhism that I appreciate, and, and Hinduism at some capacity, like especially the Upanishads and those teachings, we have these Western cultures that say, like, you have original sin in you, right? And you have to read these things to kind of absolve you of the sin. And cool, that works for you. Fantastic. I, I want you to be peaceful and happy, and I want to help you with that. Um, what appeals to me about uh, Buddhism and Hinduism is saying that you actually have perfection within you already. Mm. Now you need to sit and just peel the things you're attach yourself to, and you'll find that jewel, that um, that 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 perfect jewel that's within. Because that jewel, again, using it symbolically, is all of it. Is Brahma, if you quoting uh, the Upanishads, that's everything. Um, and it's just peeling out those distractions. It's awesome that you brought up Jimi Hendrix in this story because one of the things I was most curious about and kind of excited to ask you about is as you've been on this, as you've evolved as a human being, you've been on this spiritual path, I do want to know, have your role models changed? Your artist role models? Have your relationship with the musicians or artists you looked up to before this major you know, life change. Has it, have they changed? Absolutely. And, and absolutely. I mean, I'll just, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, speaking of with Jimmy first, for example, I found him when I was 14. Mm-hmm. I found him when I was super young. I just didn't know who I was listening to. And then I heard it at 14. I go, oh, this is who I listened to when I was younger. And I looked him up and I found this cool shit out. And he'd always been the like pinnacle of like everything mm-hmm. that I wanted to do. And I always would say to myself, I want to f- continue something what he did mm. as a person, you know, as an artist, excuse me. And he died at 27. Um, by 27, I was like, well, I still am just running around here shooting the shit. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just being a wild man still, you know. And then the next year, all that shit happened to me. Um, so I'm on this side of it now. Uh, they definitely changed in a way that now I, I look at him and I will appreciate his creativity his artist artistic acumen mm. in the moment of writing and whatnot when i see him as an individual and a spiritual person i look i say this poor boy was so sad he didn't have he didn't he wasn't he definitely wasn't comfortable standing up for himself like mm. that's known but 
you can know it, but then now you can see yourself in a life situation that you would stand up for yourself. And I look and say, oh, the poor boy. He was like a child to me. I grew up listening to a lot of Tupac, too. Yeah. My mother raised me. She's like, that's how you're supposed to be. You're a black man. You be really intelligent. And your fist, you better be strong. No fucking around either way. So I grew up really admiring him. He died at 25. I watch him now. I'm like, this little boy is so angry. He's so mad. He he just wasn't he just wasn't given a hug, yeah. uh, spiritually, emotionally. No, 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 take out spiritually, emotionally. Yeah. Psychologically, he was taught that the world was out to get him. But some capacity it is for sure. Right. But it just fueled him in this very worried state, and he's fucking brilliant, and he's so goddamn smart. And I still wish he was here now because so much more would have happened with Pac if he was still alive. And of course, Jimi Hendrix. You know, Tupac wanted to start his own political party. For all minorities. He said a lot of insightful, heart-centered things, though. I mean, for a 25-year-old, the legacy of, of, and the heart in some of what he has left behind for us, freaking beautiful. And it is, it's like, we look up to these people, especially when we're younger, and we're now older than the two people, or I'm 27, but, you know, than the people you mentioned. And it's like, what happened that this person got so into drugs that they fucking died. Mm-hmm. Yep. You start to have a different relationship with these icons. They totally changed. You're 100% right. That's a great question because I've noticed that lately. They just don't seem the same. It's 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 not that I feel past them or beyond them or right. above them or better. They're, but there's a, definitely a shift of... Um, I don't know how to explain it, but that hierarchy. this is hierarchy, I suppose. But it's like I look at them now, and I can see as I've worn that shirt already. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I've worn that shirt. That shirt doesn't fit me anymore. Uh, I've changed my style of dress. Mm-hmm. It feels like that. Yeah, you know. And, and again, going back to Presley Tupac, is just he had a lot of demons, and you, and it's it it it. And he says it himself all the time. I'm not going to change the world. I'm going to spark the brain that will change the world. Like mm. what he did, he wanted to do exactly what he sought to do. And then he was gone. Because he said it in his last interview in August. He died in September. In August of 95, he said, um, 96. He said, uh, this is my last interview. If I die, you guys got the full story and so on and so forth. So he had an awareness of what was going on. Yeah. He was going to not be here for much longer. That so, often happens yeah. with these young artists. Yeah. Like, I've noticed is they predict their own death. Yeah. Which, this is getting dark. So mm-hmm. maybe we swerve. But, <laughs> but there's, there is an awareness in yeah. these you know, brilliant minds that are burning out fast. Mm-hmm. They know what's happening. You know. My friend is another musician, a very, very... Um, um, very, very prominent trombone player, Dwayne Benjamin. He says that he thinks those people who die young, they didn't die young. They used all their time in this shorter amount of time because they were so ahead of it. I don't agree with that. No? No. no. Well, I, I, it's, you know, the previous episode also, I'm mm-hmm. uh, just linking back to it because I had a therapist on the mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. and we were talking a little bit about this because like David Lynch, one of my favorite directors, yeah. went, to, went to therapy and, you know, in his first session, I think, very early on. He said, if I, if I go through a therapeutic process, will I s- stop making art? Will I slow down? Yeah. And the therapist, this freaking idiot, is like, you might. My goodness. And that's not what you say to a new client. No. That's not no. at all helpful. And so he never went back. To the guy. And I, you know, people talk about, the, the, the Maya, the guest last week, talked about 
how people bring this up about Edward about Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, what would Edgar Allan Poe have made if he had if he had gone to therapy or been on an antidepressant? You know, uh, I'm like he probably would have made art for a yeah. more sustainable amount of time yeah. or for a longer amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like brilliance isn't going to be, um, it's not going to like fizzle out because you're emotionally healthy. Yeah. You're going to be able to live longer mm-hmm. and make things at a more, maybe a more sustainable pace. Right. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe the music would come out at a slower pace because it's actually, you're not burning yourself, burning the candle out. Mm-hmm. But I would like that for the artist I admire. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I would like for them to have long lives and, and contribute to the world and make more. It's like this this uh, worship of the you know young genius who then freaking dies is a yeah. terrible, terrible cultural thing yeah. that I don't even agree with. Same. I appreciate now a lot of society is uh, celebrating celebrities who have gotten sober. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't oh, know. Miley Cyrus was, got like a year sober or something. Uh, I think scope or like Rolling Stone Instagram posted everyone was celebrating that that would have not happened in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s or the 60s no one would have said this person sober no one would have given a shit because of that same narrative that we're supposed to be just like yeah yeah get the fuck out of here I'm I'm good without that and also I just don't see what those those what ifs should be conversation Mm -hmm. but you can't stand you can't make your life point on that sort of what if because you, you can go anywhere with that. That's right. just a slippery slope. That just, you're not going to get yourself anywhere. You don't know where they're going to be. Good chance they're probably going to be better than that because the artistry is what was in them already. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I'm good. I, and, yeah, I'm not, I'm not any of those people, that's for sure. But I can say my art has been more true, more real, more dynamic, more driven, more me. Brings mm-hmm. me more joy. I've gotten better response from the people who've listened to it and who've heard it. Ever since I stopped drinking, since I stopped sleeping around, since I stopped doing drugs, since I started meditating, since I became spiritual, you name it. So, We were talking about this at dinner the other night where I said, you know, even if you consistently made stuff five years ago, three years ago, even if you were creative, there's a huge difference between making stuff and then finishing a project. Mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. you're putting mm-hmm. out an album today yeah. when this comes out yeah. yourself you are sharing your work your music your thoughts with the world that is very different than and all on your own very different than just being kind of manically creative yeah. yes yeah that that discipline there again it goes discipline. back to that, that 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 that's where boxing comes into you got to recognize that stillness you know that um sort of axis mundi you know, it's the axis that spins mm. around and around and around. But in that center is a stillness. So the duality is right there, which actually isn't duality because there are no two fucking things, right? Mm-hmm. We go back to that. Um, yeah, writing that was a lot in that way. I think that's what you're asking me, like, what, what it was about. about. Yeah, well, and just like, you know, how is this moment different than maybe other times you've been creative? Mm. Like some of the people we're talking about have made a lot of art at a fast pace. But you're now in this place of internal security with this kind of sense of peace about you and you're finishing things. You've written three pilot scripts. I know that you're submitting to festivals or to competitions. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that also takes a kind of bravery and, and you know, like that's just a different step in an artist's life. And do you think a lot of that is due to the spiritual work you've done? Uh, A thousand percent. Yeah, for sure. It requires you to look inward. Mm -hmm. 
instead of uh, think that something else is supposed to do it for you or that you have the answers already. You got to face the self, mm-hmm. you know, without falling in, right? You know, what's that, that myth? Uh, Narcissist, I think. Oh, yeah. He walks into the ocean, falls into the lake, he looks at himself, loves himself so much, he falls underwater and drowns. There's that balance, right? Yeah. You still got to look in that lake, though, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You have to see the self. You got know what you look like. I mean, you gotta stay pretty. I'm pretty pretty, so you gotta you gotta you gotta stay. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, completing all this stuff has been has been just amazing. Yeah. I have an EP that I put out in the last fall, mm-hmm. and writing those scripts, teaching myself to write those scripts, especially those because I know nothing about it, and I wouldn't have done it before. Where I got the ability to do it was by saying, "I don't know this answer." I don't know this. Yeah. So ask questions. Humility. Ask for help. Humility. And then I, I wrote those from there. And I, I, I think they're, I love them. I think they're amazing. Um, writing this album was, 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 was that. That's the trial and error of stuff. I had three different producers and they all were, they all were um, instrumentalists too. So some, I played everything on this album except drums. So I'm bass, guitar, cello, organ, piano, vocals, whatever Incredible. else claps, claps. <laughs> whatever <laughs> whistle you know, whatever the hell uh, except drums so i had these three producers that i would send stuff off to and they didn't work together so i would just i could get three songs going at a time mm. that way i wasn't waiting two weeks for this song to be done and in between working uh, clients boxing trainer i would go home do the work there and then go back to the other clients mm-hmm. for the rest of the day I lucked out that people want to work out before and after work, right? Mm-hmm. They can't work while they're work out while they're working for the most part. Um, so middle of the day, mine. Yeah, you got this built in. Yeah, just time. go to the house and just just knock that stuff out. Um, but the act of getting it done was never a question. I knew it was going to. Yeah. There's there's that 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 rooted spiritual self because I'm speaking from something. I'm I have personally attempted to find within me that is without as well in the world and that's it's it's endless it's endless i'm gonna go on a side rant here but eternity and nirvana the buddha would call it or enlightenment they have different different definitions but they're all dealing with not being uh uh, binded to desire of the past Mm -hmm. fear of the future when both those two polarities are removed because again, there's no two things. You are in the moment. You are present right here. And when you're present, time is irrelevant. It's not even real because you're there. When you find that, that's the immeasurable part. It's just being, again, another Ram Dass quote, be here now. Right. When you're sitting with that, that immeasurableness just comes in, comes back out. You've got to just be open as a conductor, it's you know, you gotta clean your conductor for the wavelengths to come yeah. process. And I'm going all over the place here, but well, and it takes insecurity out as well as an artist where you're not focused on the, the end product. You know, you can experiment and play mm-hmm. and new ideas can come out because you're not so focused on what it's gonna look like on the outside in a year when it gets released. Yeah. 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 A friend of mine I told it to him when I was working on this album. He said, You said you've been working on this album for a little while now. And I realized I have been working on this for a while, huh? Didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be done, but didn't think how long. I just knew. When I get to a certain stage, I, I realize, okay, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Let's put a date on that light. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and so much that I finished this album in early July. I could have put it out in the middle of July. I realized, no, nah, we put it on the beginning of August. It gives me time to sit with it and breathe and set up an album release party and do, you know, the social stuff for it that I wanted to do. I wanted to ask you about yeah. that too, because obviously it's a podcast for artists and artists are listening and I love, you know, the DIY mentality. I love, I've had an amazing self-published author on here whose book was hugely successful. Like, there is a way to do these things yourself that can be successful. And like, it's a gift to be able to release things, you know, on your own or like not have to be married to these record companies that can be evil yeah. and exploitative. Um, so I, I just wanted to ask about the album. How, how did you do it all yourself? You know, what was the process of that? It's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. <laughs> and that is an understatement how much yeah. it is. Um, yeah, logistically, physically, um, I recorded everything in my place. I found those producers on online mm-hmm. um, and started dishing those out to them. Um, recorded the work, made tons of notes. All the drafts come back and forth. You go through 10 or 12 drafts of stuff after you've recorded all of it. You know, send it off to them, you get it back, make notes, adjust, I have to re-record this and that and so on and so forth while at all times knowing the big picture you have to still be in the moment yeah recording the instrumentation was my best favorite part my best favorite my favorite part because you're just in the you're just there recording it's what i like to do yeah right um when that was done which took months a little longer uh i went to i uploaded on distro kid this is very independent website of uh, uh, distribution. Mm-hmm. So it'll you set up a profile. You can put upload the songs, the lyrics. You can do one of the. You can set up the lyrics where it'll pop up and move with it, like mm-hmm. you do in karaoke or whatever. Um, and then it gets distributed out to all, and up, up like there's like thirty. The platforms. Yeah, yeah. that I didn't even heard of. I'm like this is a thing too. Cool. So iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Music, and all Amazon, all the crazier ones that I've never heard of. Uh-huh. Um, and then, uh, you can pay for profiles, you know, what kind of, um, uh, plans you want to uh-huh. where like if something, if I pass away, that stuff's going to be there forever. Wow. You pay for a legacy option. Like this really cool stuff. Shit. Wow. I think that's kind of what you're asking. The, just the yeah, stuff no, really the practical stuff I just want to yeah. talk about because, yeah. cause people listening mm-hmm. might be pursuing the same thing you're pursuing. Right. And it's like helpful to just hear the nitty gritty sometimes mm-hmm. when you're looking at someone who just released an album to, to hear about the details yeah. of what they did, yeah. you know, that it's accessible and it is hard work, but yeah. you can do it. Oh, yeah. The front of the album, I've got this beaming smile holding this heart, you know, that it was an hour. It was hours of standing up doing that shit. It's a lot of time with it, you know, and then I'm on social media like, Hey everybody, how you guys doing? Yeah. I got an album out. Hope you enjoy this. Please. The hard part is the hard part. Leave your comments. Let me know how it is and blah, 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 blah. I hit, pa- I hit stop on the record. I'm like, Ooh, okay. Let me go box with this client now you know what i'm saying you know there's so much that comes behind it so in a logistics standpoint i got to um juggling the time i i uh worked those clients went home started recording made takes on it and i made mental notes of what and physical notes what i needed to get done next you get the drafts back from the producers and whatnot. I listen to them in my car between clients and driving to clients because most people listen to the car, the music in their car and their headphones. So I want to hear that from there and my laptop speakers and my big speakers and my headphones. 
and you got to live in that space for a while, honestly. You know when you, you take a long road trip and it's, you know, it's like it's a solid eight hours. So the first hour, you a thousand percent are not going to be miserable because you're, you, you've set your mental state to know we got some time. Mm. Same thing. We got some time to knock this out. So I need to just be invested in it. Um, so I, I would just, just hop between that work so much effort and social media these days are so great with that because TikTok will show you people can give notes like I found this way to record this in a quicker yeah. manner you can hit this button and it'll just keep looping the takes so you do 12 takes and then when I found that part out I realized oh yeah because I can just sit in the zone and just do it and then I would just go back later and chop them out I like this one this take 12 is better than this one and then for the next first take nine was better I appreciate the way I set this phrasing here uh-huh. Um, and then when that's done, you upload it on DistroKid. It's really, really simple. Um, and uh, that's mostly, I mean, that's that's not that's not it, obviously. Right. But those steps really, there's a consistency there. Ah, mm-hmm. there it is. I'm looking for something I was forgetting about. You, a thousand percent, have to say two things. If you don't say these two things... You're, you're lying to yourself or you're fucking up. You got to go back. You got to say, I fucked this up. I, I, I don't know how to do this. I fucked up here. This is not good or whatever. You have, Something logistical, emailing somebody or just to take whatever it is. You got to be able to say, this is not it. I fucked this up because it's bound to happen. And yeah. it's going to make you better anyway. Right. You know? Humility. Yeah. And then there's that humility. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the other part too where you have to make sure that you're consistently honest. You will really slip into that. What should it sound like? Mm-hmm. They're going to like this. The moment you say to yourself, they're going to like this, stop it. Yeah. Stop right there. You stop that right there. What's the, what's the guy's name? It's going to escape me. I think it was Matthew Weiner, writer, writer of The Sopranos. He went to David um, Chase. Yeah, and then he did Mad Men. Yeah, after. he did Mad Men. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the other guy from Boardwalk Empire. I forget that guy's name. Yeah. One of them walked into David Chase's office, the creator of Sopranos. Oh. And he gave him this idea. And David was like, I love that. That's brilliant. Write it down. And they kept talking. And the guy messed up and said, oh, man, the fans are going to love that. And David goes, nope, done. Don't put it in there. Don't put it in there whatsoever. Won't do it. And that's a, it's just a great note that I love. And I already felt something around that way. But to hear someone put it in that phrase, I go, ah, thank you. Thank you. I had five threads laying around. You just patch it together for me for a fucking quilt I can lay under. Now yeah. I'm warm, you know. When I got to that space, you got to be honest there and say, sometimes I, I can't do this thing. This is not, this is not true to me. And yeah. Yeah. When did you know that you were ready uh, for with the music, with the album? Oh, when it was completed? Yeah. When did you know, like, this, okay, this is now ready? Yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had the concept for it in mind and I recorded, there's nine songs in the album. I recorded about 13, 14 songs. Mm-hmm. When I got to song 10, 11, I knew the last four or five songs that were not done yet, what they sounded like. So I just started making, I made a, a file of each song name. I just started shifting them around on my Mac, my MacBook. Just like, mm-hmm. this should sound this way. This this speaks this way. I like the way this one, the album just drops with this. The first song and it just drops with this very fiery sound, you know. And so you shape it from there. So... I, that was about mm, three and a half weeks before 
I submitted it. It's, it's kind of short. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three and a half weeks beforehand. And then when I was ready, I was like, all right, I'm still going to give it a, I'm going to put out for a month. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It doesn't fucking stop. That's for sure. Now you're ready for the next one. I'm already ready for the next one. Yeah. I know the name of the album already for the next one. Um, I already started working on a song for the next one. I'm already thinking about it. Totally. Totally. Well, we're going to link to the album, obviously, in the totally. show notes. Right, comes thanks. out the day this episode airs. And besides uh, the album that everyone should buy if they can, and not just <laughs> not just listen to you on Spotify, where else can people support? Yeah. Uh, anything for YouTube, uh, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, just search the clue, the C-L-E-W, and you'll find it. Um, you see a guy with crazy curly hair, smiling, making weird faces. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's, you found me. Well, it's so special to have you on this show. And it, it really was. It's, it's amazing to talk to someone I'm so close to. And hear this, you know, hear the outside, hear more of what was going on with you in the full story, because I've been in it with you for a few years now. It's really beautiful the way that you've evolved and just the, the way that you see how the most difficult moments of your life brought you to this really beautiful moment now. So I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Before we uh, say goodbye, I always ask my guests, what is the art life? Yard life is, that's unity of everything, yourself and you to the world. And thank you also, Grace, for being an amazing friend and always having a safe space for me, no matter where I was in my life. I, I, I can never express how grateful I am for you. Likewise, we've really been there for each other and at different moments too, ups and downs, been able to support each other. We were talking about that earlier this week, but whether it's as friends and safe spaces or as artists, we've been able to work on a bunch of stuff together and it's just always an amazing time. So I'm so grateful for you as well. And I and can't wait to have you back when your next album is out yeah. as well. <laughs> Two pearls and a ruby. So uh, speaking of unity and community, the Art Life is now on Patreon for anyone listening. Uh, I will link to that in the show notes as well. But that is a new development because it's become clear to me how important it is to actually have a, a home base for this show where listeners can interact with me and our guests and you know just have more of a community focus. I don't want to just be speaking to people listening. I want a conversation, right? So we're on Patreon now and I look forward to having you back, Caesar. Go listen to The Heart Part is the Hard Part, uh, The Clues first full album. Yeah. It's very exciting. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much and take care, everybody. Wish you all peace. Peace and love. Have a good night. This is The Art Life. You can read more and subscribe to our newsletter at www.theartlife.show or send letters to The Art Life, Care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 1193, Hollywood, California, 90078. You can email us at theartlifeshow at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Art Life Show. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for being part of the art life.